chapter three of the splendid outcast by george gibbs this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by tony oliva the goose jim horton had had a narrow escape from discovery but in spite of his precarious position and the pitfalls that seemed to lay right and left he had become if anything more determined than ever to follow the fate to which he had committed himself there now seemed no doubt that moira was in all innocence involved in some way in the blackmailing scheme which had been the main source of livelihood for the quinlevin family for many years and moira did not know for the duc de vautrin of course was the source of the irish rents to which she had alluded and now he was refusing to pay it was clear that something unpleasant hung in the air an ill wind for the duc de vautrin and for the plotters moira's father and jim horton's precious brother and it seemed quite necessary in the interests of honesty that he jim horton should remain for the present in the game and divert if possible the currents of evil which encompassed his interesting sister-in-law one thing he had learned that by taking refuge behind the barriers of his failing memory it might be possible to keep up the deception at least until he was out of the hospital and a crisis of some sort came to relieve him of his responsibility indeed there was something most agreeable in the friendly regard of his brother's loveless wife and under other circumstances the calls of this charming person would have been the source of unalloyed delight for as the days passed more and more she threw off the restraint of her earlier visits and they had now reached a relationship of understanding and good fellowship most delightful and unusual in its informality jim horton was progressing rapidly and except for occasional lapses of memory easily explained and perfectly understood by his visitors gained health and strength until it was no longer a question of weeks but of days when he should be able to leave the hospital and accept the invitation of his newly discovered relatives to visit the studio apartment he had made further efforts through the hospital authorities to find some trace of the missing man but without success and in default of any definite plan of action chose to follow the line of least resistance until something should happen barry quinlevin visited him twice but spoke little of the affair of the duc de vautrin which it seemed was being held in abeyance for the moment preferring to wait until the brain and body of the injured man could help him to plan and to execute and jim horton finding that safety lay in silence or fatigue did little further to encourage his confidences thus it was that after several weeks he impatiently awaited moira outside the hospital it was a gorgeous afternoon of blue and gold with the haze of indian summer hanging lazily over the peaceful autumn landscape 
an aromatic odor of burning leaves was in the air and about him aged men and women worked in road and garden as though the alarms of war had never come to their ears the signing of the armistice which had taken place while horton was still in his bed had been the cause of much quiet joy throughout the hospital but with the return of health jim horton had begun wondering what effect the peace was to have upon his strange fortunes and upon harry's he knew that for the present he had been granted a furlough which he was to spend with the quinlevins in paris but after that what was to happen he was a little dubious too about his relations with moira but when he saw her coming down the path to the open-air pavilion with nurse newberry all flushed with the prospect of carrying him off in triumph in the ancient fiacre from which she had descended he could not deny a thrill of pleasure that was not all fraternal behold mon ami she cried in greeting i come to take you prisoner he laughed gaily as he took her hand and there's a goose in the pantry bought at a fabulous price just waiting for the pan be sure you don't kill your prisoner with kindness put in nurse newberry i'll take that risk said horton genially sure and he must put in moira it isn't every day one brings a conquering hero home especially when he's your husband said the artless miss newberry wistfully jim horton had a glimpse of the color that ran like a flame up moira's throat to her brow but he glanced quickly away and busied himself with a buckle at his belt i want to thank you miss newberry he said soberly for all that you've done for me i'll never forget nor i lieutenant horton but you're in better hands than mine now a week or so and you'll be as strong as ever i've never felt better in my life he replied they moved toward the conveyance shook hands with the nurse and with harry's baggage which had just been sent down from regimental headquarters upon the box beside the rubicund and rotund coacher they drove out of the gates and toward the long finger of the eiffel tower which seemed to be beckoning to them across the blue haze above the rooftops neither of them spoke for a moment in the ward in the convalescent rooms or even in the grounds of the hospital moira had been a visitor with a mission of charity and cheer here in the fiacre the basis of their relationship seemed suddenly and quite mysteriously to change whether moira felt it or not he did not know for she looked out of her window at the passing scene and her partly averted profile revealed nothing of her thoughts but the fact that they were for the first time really alone and driving to moira's paris apartment gave him a qualm of guilt on account of the impossible situation that he had created he had he thought shown her deep gratitude and respect and had succeeded in winning the friendship that harry had perhaps taken too much for granted it had given jim horton pleasure to think that moira now really liked him for himself alone and the whole-heartedness of her good fellowship had given him every token of her spirit of conciliation she had had her moods of reserve before like the one of her present silence 
but the abundance of her vitality and sense of humour had responded unconsciously to his own and they had drawn closer with the artless grace of two children thrown upon their own resources and now here in the ramshackle vehicle for the first time alone jim horton would have very much liked to take her by the hand which lay most temptingly upon the seat beside him and tell her the truth but that meant harry's disgrace the anguish of her discovering that such a friendship as this with her own husband could never be for in her eyes jim horton had seen her own courage and a contempt for all things that harry was or could ever hope to be and so with an effort he folded his arms resolutely and stared out of his window it was then that her voice recalled him can't you smell that goose harry dear she said he flashed a quick smile at her just can't i he laughed and you're to help me cook it and vegetables and coffee you know she finished nothing ever tastes quite so good as when you cook it yourself and you do all the cooking he asked thoughtfully sometimes but more often we go to a cafe sometimes madame toupin helps the concierge but father thinks my cooking is the best i don't doubt it i shall too and then where is your father to-day she looked at him eyes wide as though suddenly reminded i forgot she gasped he asked me to tell you that he was obliged to be leaving for ireland about the irish rents isn't it tiresome oh said horton quietly i see he turned his thoughtful gaze out of the carriage window into the avenue de neuilly the situation had its charm but he had counted on the presence of barry quinlevin how long will he be gone he asked i don't know she replied a week or more perhaps but i'll try to make you comfortable i've wanted so to have everything nice he smiled at her warmth you forget that that uh, i've learned to be a soldier moira a blanket on the floor of the studio and i'll be as happy as a king no you shall have the best that there is the very best mon ami i don't propose to let you work for me moira i can get some money i can find a pension somewhere near and she turned toward him suddenly her eyes very close to tears do you wish to make me unhappy when i've tried so hard to to moira he caught her hand to his lips and kissed it gently i didn't mean i've wanted so for you to forget how unkind i had been to you to make this seem like a real homecoming after all you've been through and now to hear you talking of going to a pension moira i thought it might be inconvenient that it might be more pleasant for you he broke down miserably she released her fingers gently and turned away sure alanath and i think that i should be the judge of that she said we'll say no more about it he muttered but i-i'm very grateful moira's lips wreathed into an adorable smile i've been thinking the war has done something to you harry and now i'm sure of it you've been learning to think of somebody beside yourself 
i'd be pretty rotten if i hadn't learned to do some thinking about you he said as he looked into her eyes with more hardihood than wisdom she met his gaze for the fraction of a minute and then raised her chin and laughed merrily up at the broad back of the coacher yes you've changed harry dear god knows how or why but you've changed you'll be paying me some compliments upon my pulchritude and heavenly virtues by and by why shouldn't i he insisted soberly when her laughter subsided your loveliness is only the outward and visible sign of the inward and spiritual grace i'm so sure of it that i don't care whether you laugh or not am i lovely you think so well it's nice to hear even if it only makes conversation also that my nose is not so bad even if it does turn piously to heaven but there's a deep dent in my chin which means that i've got a bit of the devil in me bad cess to him so that you'd better do just what i want you to or we'll have a fallen out and that would be a pity because of the goose he laughed as gaily as she had done i've a notion moira he said that it's my goose you're going to cook and i've a notion she said poising a slim gloved finger for a second upon his knee i've a notion that we're both going to cook him it seemed too much like a prophecy to be quite to his liking her moods were protean and her rapid transitions bewildered and yet under them all he realized how sane she was how honest with him and with herself and how free from any guile she trusted him entirely as one good friend would trust another and the thought of any evil coming to her through his strange venture into harry's shoes made him most unhappy but her pretty dream of a husband with whom she could at least be on terms of friendship must some day come to an end and yet suppose the report that harry was missing meant that he was dead a bit of shrapnel a bullet he didn't wish it but that chance was within the range of the possible they had passed down the avenue of the grande armee into the place de l'etoile and were now in the magnificent reaches of the champs-elysees jim horton had only been in paris for five hours between trains little more than long enough to open an account at a bank but moira chattered on gaily with the point of view of an intime showing him the places which they must visit together throwing in a word of history here an incident or adventure there giving the places they passed the personality of her point of view highly tinged with the artist's idealism from her talk he gathered that she had lived much in paris during all her student days and except for the little corner in ireland where she had been born and which she had visited from time to time loved it better than any place in the world and i shall teach you to speak french harry the real argot of the quartier and you shall love it as i do i do speak it a little already he ventured really and who was your instructress the dropping intonation was sudden and very direct jim horton looked out of the window 
he was sure that harry wouldn't have been able to meet her gaze no one he muttered at least no girl that's the truth we had books and things oh she finished dryly her attitude in this matter was a revelation the incident seemed to clarify their relations and in a new way for in a moment she was conversing again in a manner most unconcerned friendly she might be with harry for the sake of things that he had accomplished companionable and kind for the sake of the things he had suffered but as for any deeper feeling that was another matter moira was no fool but at least she trusted him now she dared to trust him otherwise why did she conduct him with such an air of unconcern to the apartment in the rue de tavennes but he couldn't be unaware of the alertness in her unconcern an occasional quick and furtive side glance which showed that however friendly she was still on her guard perhaps she wanted to study this newly discovered harry at closer range but why had she chosen the venture he had given her her chance why had she refused to take it the answers to these questions were still puzzling him when they drove up the hill by the boulevard saint michel boulmichet she called it reached the luxembourg gardens and then turning into a smaller street were presently deposited at their porte cochere her air of gaiety was infectious and she presented him to the good madame toupin who came out to meet them with the air of one greeting an ambassador welcome monsieur le lieutenant madame horton has promised us this visit since a long time merci madame enter monsieur this house is honored thank the bon dieu for the americans jim horton bowed and followed moira into the small court and up the stairway experiencing a new sense of guilt at having his name coupled so familiarly with moira's harry's name too and yet the circumstances of the marriage were so strange the facts as to her actual relations with her husband so patent that he found himself resenting moira's placid acceptance of the appellation there was something back of it all that he did not know but moira gave him no time to think of the matter conducting him into the large studio and showing him through the bedroom and kitchen where she proudly exhibited her goose and jim horton's that she was to cook and after he had deposited his luggage in a room nearby which he was to occupy she removed her gloves in a business-like manner took off her hat and coat and invited him into the kitchen allons monsieur she said gaily in french as she rolled up her sleeves we shall now cook a goose in this modern apparatus so kindly furnished by the compagnie de gaz there's a large knife in the drawer you will now help me to cut up the potatoes julienne and the carrots which we shall stew then some lettuce and a beautiful dessert from the patisserie and a demi-tasse what more can the soul of man desire rien he replied with a triumphant grin of understanding from behind the dishpan absolument rien ah you do understand she cried in english 
was she a blonde cendre or dark with slow eyes or red-haired if she was red-haired harry i'll be scratching her eyes out no he shook his head and laughed she was black and white and her name was ollendorf you still persist in that deception i do you're almost too proficient you had better not try me too far she smiled brightly at him over the fowl which she was getting ready for the pan stuffing it with a dressing already prepared i wonder how far i might be trying you harry dear she said mischievously he glanced at her i don't know he said quietly but i think i've learned something of the meaning of patience in the army then god be praised she ejaculated with air of piety putting the fowl into the pan here cut slice to your heart's content thin like jackstraws but spare your fingers she set him in a chair and saw him begin while she prepared the salad patience is by way of being a virtue she resumed quizzically her pink fingers weaving among the lettuce leaves and then so they taught you that in the army they did and did you never get tired of being patient harry dear he met the issue squarely you may try me as far as you like moira he said quietly i owe you that she hadn't bargained for such a counter oh she muttered and diligently examined a doubtful lettuce leaf by the fading light of the small window while horton sliced scrupulously at his potato and when the goose was safely over the flame she quickly disappeared into the studio he couldn't make her out it seemed that a devil was in her a mischievous beautiful tantalizing little irish she-devil bent on psychological investigation also he had never before seen her with her hat off and he discovered that he liked her hair it had bluish tints that precisely matched her eyes he finished his last potato with meticulous diligence and then quickly rose and followed her into the studio where a transformation had already taken place a table over which a white cloth had been thrown had been drawn out near the big easel and upon it were plates glasses knives and forks and candles with rose-colored shades and there was even a bowl of flowers in the hearth faggots were crackling and warmed the cool shadows from the big north light already violet with the falling dusk voila monsieur we are now chez nous is it not pleasant it was and he said so you like my studio it's great and the portrait may i see no it doesn't go on sent le souffle a french dowager who braved the folkers when all her family were froussards fled in terror she deserves immortality and you were not afraid of the bombardments hardly not after all the trouble we had getting here horrors she broke off suddenly and catching him by the hand dashed for the kitchen whence came an appetizing odor the goose we've forgotten the goose she cried and proceeded to baste it skillfully she commended his potatoes and bade him stir them in the pan while she made the salad dressing much oil a little vinegar paprika salt in a bowl with a piece of ice at the end of a fork he watched her curiously with the eyes of inexperience as she brought all the various operations neatly to a focus 
allons it is done she said finally in french go thou and sit at the table and i will serve but he wouldn't do that and helped her to dish the dinner bringing it in and placing it on the table and at last they were seated vis-a-vis horton with his back to the fire the glow of which played a pretty game of hide-and-seek with the shadows of her face he let her carve the goose and she did it skilfully while he served the vegetables they ate and drank to each other in vin ordinaire which was all that moira could afford after the prodigal expenditure for the pièce de résistance moira her face a little flushed talked gaily while the spurious husband opposite sat watching her and grinning comfortably he couldn't remember when he had been quite so happy in his life or quite so conscience-stricken and so he fell silent after a while every impulse urging confession and yet not daring it illustration moira talked gaily they took their coffee by the embers of the fire the light from the great north window had long since expired and the mellow glow of the candles flickered softly on polished surfaces suddenly moira stopped talking and realized that as she did so silence had fallen her companion had sunk deep into his chair his gaze on the gallery above a frown tangling his forehead she glanced at him quickly and then looked away something was required of him and so why have you done all this for me he asked gently she smiled and their glances met because 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 you thought it a duty no easily it wasn't really that duty is such a tiresome word to do one's duty is to do something one does not want to do don't i seem to be having a good time i hope you are i'm not likely to forget your charity your charity i don't like that word it is charity moira i don't deserve it the words were casual but they seemed to illumine the path ahead for she broke out impetuously i didn't think you did i pitied you over there for what you'd been and almost if not quite loathed you for the hold you seemed to have on father i don't know what the secret was or how much he owed you but i know that he was miserable i think i must have been hating you a great deal harry dear and yet i married you why did you he muttered i had no right to ask even a war marriage god knows she said with a quick gasp as she bowed her head you had made good at the camp i think it was the regimental band at yapank that brought me around and then you seemed so pathetic and wishful i got to thinking you might be killed father wanted it and so she paused and sighed deeply well i did it it was the most that i could give for liberty she raised her head proudly and stared into the glowing embers for liberty you gave your own freedom he murmured it was mad quixotic she broke in again a horrible sacrilege i did not love could not honor had no intention of obeying you she stopped suddenly and hid her face in her hands he thought that she was in tears but he did not dare to touch her though he leaned toward her 
his fingers groping presently she took her hands down and threw them out in a wild gesture it is merciless what i'm saying to you but you let loose the floodgates and i had to speak he leaned closer and laid his fingers over hers it was a mistake he said i would do anything to repair it he meant what he said and the deep tones of his voice vibrated close to her ear she did not turn to look at him and kept her gaze on the fire but she breathed uneasily and then closed her eyes a moment as though in deep thought don't you believe me moira she glanced at him and then leaned forward away toward the fire i believe that i do she replied slowly i don't know why it is that i should be thinking so differently about you but i do you see if i hadn't trusted you we'd never have been sitting here in this night i gave you your chance to be alone yes you did that but i couldn't let you be going to a pension harry i think it was a pity for your pale face against the pillows nothing else he asked quietly his hand had taken the fingers on the chair arm and she did not withdraw them at once sure maybe it was the blarney i've meant what i've said he whispered in spite of himself you're the loveliest girl in all the world there was a moment of silence in which her hand fluttered uneasily in his while a gentle color came into her face then abruptly she withdrew her fingers and sprang up her face aflame go along with you you'll be making love to me next he sank back into his chair silent perturbed as he realized that this was just what was in his heart come she laughed we've got all the dishes to wash and then you're to be getting to bed or your head will be aching in the morning allons she brought him to himself with a clear cool note of camaraderie and with a short laugh and a shrug which hid a complexity of feeling he followed her into the kitchen with the dishes but a restraint had fallen between them moira worked with a business-like air rather overdoing it and jim horton sure that he was a blackguard of sorts wiped the dishes she handed to him and then obediently followed her to the room off the hall where his baggage had been carried she put the candle on the table and gave him her frankest smile sleep sound my dear for to-morrow i'll be showing you the sights good-night moira he said gently dormez bien and she was gone he stood staring at the closed door aware of the sharp click of the latch and the faint firm tap of her high heels diminishing along the hall then the closing of the studio door for a long while he stood there not moving and then mechanically took out a cigarette tapping it against the back of his hand only the urge of a light for his cigarette from the candle at last made him turn away then he sank upon the edge of the bed and smoked for a while his brows furrowed in thought nothing that harry had ever done seemed more despicable than the part that he had chosen to play he was winning her friendship her esteem something even finer than these perhaps for harry as harry borrowing from their tragic marriage the right to this strange intimacy 
if her dislike of him had only continued if she had tolerated him even or if she had been other than she was his path would have been smoother but she was making it very difficult for him he paced the floor again for a while until his cigarette burnt his fingers then he walked to the window opened it and looked out it was early yet only eleven o'clock the thought of sleep annoyed him so he took up his cap blew out the candle and went quietly out into the hall and down the stairs he wanted to be alone with his thoughts away from the associations of the studio to assume his true guise as an alien and an enemy to this girl who had learned to trust him the cool air of the courtyard seemed to clear his thoughts in all honor in all decency he must discover some way of finding his brother harry expose the ugly intrigue and then take harry's place and go out into the darkness of ignominy and disgrace that would require some courage he could see more than it had taken to go out against the boche machine-gunners in the darkness of boissiere wood but there didn't seem to be anything else to do if he wanted to preserve his own self-respect but of what value was self-respect to a man publicly disgraced and unless he could devise some miracle that would enable him to come back from the dead a miracle that would stand the test of a rigid army investigation the penalty of his action was death or at least a long term of imprisonment in a federal prison from which he would emerge a broken and ruined man of middle age this alternative was not cheering and yet he faced it bravely he would have to find harry the feat was not difficult for as he emerged from the gate of the porte cochere of the concierge and turned thoughtfully down the darkened street outside a man in a battered slouch hat and civilian clothes approached from the angle of a wall and faced him what the h are you doing at number seven rue de tavennes said a voice gruffly jim horton started back at the sound now aware that fortune had presented him with his alternative for the man in the slouch hat was his brother harry End of chapter three